0: to adjust this. Um, thank you all so much for attending this morning session on a Thursday, where I appreciate you all joining. My name's Stacey Matlin. I am VP of Innovation at a nonprofit called the Partnership for New York City, which is a nonprofit representing the business community. And one of the programs that we run in partnership with the MTA is a program called the Transit Tech Lab, which helps transit agencies in the New York metro region uh, test technologies to solve pressing transit challenges. And today we'll share more insights about that model, how that model could be scaled, not just to New York but to other places all around the country and world and also potentially outside of transit. So if you're looking for a new model to understand how to innovate within government, and within the public sector, we have some lessons to share with you. Um, we have someone from the MTA. We have someone, two of our alumni companies who will be here as well. So we have both the government and the tech perspective. Um, so before we, we get into this, I just want to get a sense of who is in the room. So if you are from the private sector, can you raise your hand? Okay. Could you keep your hand up if you work at a startup? Okay, a couple folks. Great. <laughs> if you are from the public sector, can you raise your hand? Can you keep your hand up if you uh, work for a transit agency? Oh, okay, interesting. Um, if you're nonprofit, can you raise your hand? Very few. Okay, a couple folks. Academia? Okay, a couple folks. Um, and then anyone else that I'm missing? Nope. Got all all the facts. Okay. Great. (laughs) Well, as mentioned, today we'll be diving into how this model can accelerate change for the public sector and also how startups and tech companies can test their technologies in real-world environments. Um, We have something for urbanists. If you are urbanists in the room, raise your hands. All of us? No? Okay. Well, (laughs) we will show how you can Uh, Use this tool to quickly respond to resident needs. For public sector folks, you can understand how to work and actually do innovation in the public sector. I know that sometimes can be challenging, but we have a model that works. And then for for private sector folks, also how to work within the public sector. Um, So for today's discussion, I'll let my co-panelists introduce myself introduce themselves, I'll share a bit of history and context around the Transit Tech Lab, how the model works, and then we'll get into a thrilling discussion with time at the end for Q&A. So uh, without further ado, I would like to have, we will start with Mike from the MTA if you want to do an introduction. We'll go down the path and then we'll
1: go from there. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Mike Wozner. I'm a senior advisor for innovation and policy at the MTA. MTA is North America's largest uh, transit system and Hopefully, uh, all of you have been to New York a time or two and have some familiarity with, with our system. It's subways, buses, two commuter rail uh, lines, bridges, tunnels, and uh, innovation more and more each day.
2: Hello, everybody. I am Ken Souls. I'm the CTO and co-founder of a startup called PreTect. We're a Memphis-based startup that delivers predictive diagnostics to heavy-duty trucks and buses. So effectively, we use machine learning to predict when buses and trucks are going to break down. And we're very happy to be working with New York City Transit um, and have come about that by working with Transit Tech Lab. Cool. And I'm Dan Gettleman. I was uh, CTO and
3: co-founder of Remix. We make software for cities to plan, design, um, schedule, and operate their fixed-route transit. And I'm also here representing VIA, who acquired us about two years ago. And come together, we are a leading transit tech platform that does, again, kind of pl- multimodal planning, scheduling operations for uh, fixed route transit, so normal bus lines, things you might think about as public transit, but also on-demand transit, paratransit, and school bus.
0: Great. And hello again. Stacey Matlin, still here. VP of Innovation of the Partnership for New York City. So Partnership for New York City, it's a unique organization. It was founded in uh, the 70s by Rockefeller, and we represent the business community. So our members are 300-plus of the largest employers around the city who represent over a million office workers. And it's very interesting. I'm from Detroit, and I – was excited to move to New York and see that the business community really embraces transit. They see that transit is the lifeblood of the city, and the New York economy ecosystem would not function without transit. And it is really refreshing to see embracing of transit by the business community. And so this is so much so that um, when there was a time of crisis in 2017 – uh, we called it the Summer of Hell. There was a state of emergency from the governor at the time, and he was looking for new solutions to help modernize the subway system in New York, um, and specifically called on the private sector to understand how private sector resources could help modernize in the public sector. And since our nonprofit, the, the Partnership for New York City, it's our it, within our mission to mobilize private sector resources to make New York the global hub of innovation and commerce. We worked within our membership, and we worked with the MTA to create a public-private partnership called the Transit Innovation Partnership to make New York the global leader in public transit. And so a key program of that public-private partnership is called the Transit Tech Lab, which is a program that operates on an annual basis, and it's a challenge basis. So we start every year, and we ask transit agency. It started with the MTA. We also work with all of the regional transit agencies in New York. That includes the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. So, you know, airports, bridges and tunnels that connect New Jersey and and New York ports. We work with New Jersey Transit, which is New Jersey's Transit system or transit operator, and then we also work with New York City Department of Transportation, which controls the streets, the bus lanes, bike lanes, streetscapes, all of that. And so, all of these agencies, we work with them and we ask not just their leadership, but also their directors, their staff, their operational folks, you know, what is your biggest challenge? What would you like to focus on? How can new technology help your day to day role? And from there, we then get all that feedback in, listen to a lot of folks, and then analyze and consolidate that feedback to broad challenge statements. And then it's ultimately up to leadership to select those challenge statements. And they could be anything from how do we make buses go faster in bus lanes? How do we reduce carbon emissions in fleets and facilities? So they're very broad questions. And it's really different from how a traditional government works, where you have a very prescriptive answer and solution, and you do an RFP. This is very broad, we ask a broad question, and from there we have a a three-phase iterative testing process. So we go out, ask the question. We then recruit startups from all around the world to apply through an online application and ask them, how do you think you can solve this problem? Just tell us and and do it in in a short form. From there, uh, agencies can select companies after they hear a pitch presentation. They can select companies to move forward with an eight-week proof of concept. And this proof of concept is really just to test the technology to see, does it work, does it not? Um, and at the end of that eight-week proof of concept, then the third and final phase of this test is a year-long pilot. And that's a really deep dive to understand Does the technology work? Does it work in the context of our system? Is it viable? Is it scalable? Is it uniquely positioned to solve a really critical challenge that the agency faces? And if so, the agency can move forward with whatever procurement process they use uh, to to scale that technology. And so to date, we've had over 10 challenges. So we've we've been around since 2018. We've had over 10 challenges. 650 companies apply, 20, sorry, 36 proof of concepts, so those small tests. Twenty-two companies were selected for a pilot, and then um, ultimately six technologies have commercially scaled throughout the agencies. Um, and today, you'll hear from two that are successful and commercially scaled within the MTA. We've also just outside of the the two that you'll hear today, some examples of companies that have been through our program. We during the pandemic. We helped facilitate the Essential Connector app, which provided over 300,000 rides to essential workers in the height of the pandemic when the subways were shut due to cleaning. And we also help facilitate the award-winning live subway map, which if you go and you Google live subway map and uh, right now you can see a, a really aesthetically pleasing map. And when you zoom in, you can see in real time when the subway is coming and if there's any outages, it provides that information in real time. It was really revolutionary, one time, 2021, best inventions. And that's, those are just some of the things that are possible with this model that really helps to spark innovation. Um, so with that... We are in for a treat because we have the best from the MTA and two companies to share their own perspectives Um, and want to first start off by asking Mike a question. So Mike, as senior advisor for innovation and policy at the MTA, can you provide context around why it's challenging to pursue innovation, especially in the public sector, and what tools you use to expedite solving critical challenges that the agency faces?
1: Well, the the MTA has uh, 71,000 employees, and uh, it's not exactly a nimble organization. Uh, And we are very reliant on, uh, most of the folks there uh, feel that the way to, because we've always done things this way, is the way that we should get things done. And and sort of cracking that mentality has been very difficult. Uh, It's, so that mentality is sort of stood up by our business practices as well. Uh, our procurement uh, uh, process is anything but but nimble. Uh, and certainly it's very difficult for small startup and growth stage companies to crack. Uh, so that, I think, is at, at its heart what, what our partnership is all about, is finding a way for uh, smaller companies with really, really great ideas to find a way in to the MTA, to the different operating agencies that we have, and, and, and sort of find a path to having some sort of uh, commercial success in a, in a period of time that is uh, much shorter than what the uh, typical uh, lifespan of a company trying to become one of our vendors' uh, experiences today.
0: Great. So just small anecdote for myself. So I had a startup, and then I worked in the public sector. And I was extremely frustrated to learn about procurement, going from startup to the public sector and learning how long it can take to just try something new. You know, the procurement processes that are in place and the the government, a lot of government processes that are in place are there for a reason. And they're there because government is stable and provides for vast amount of citizens and it needs to be reliable. However, when, when. Government wants to try new things, there's not always the best tools in place to do so. And so I had an experience where it took me two years to procure a solution to test. And then the pandemic hit, and then we weren't able to change the scope. And it was an incredibly frustrating experience. And so I specifically was looking for a third-party nonprofit organization that could help test the technology before you do a lengthy two-year procurement and came across the Transit Tech Lab as a gold standard model. And that's why I am here today and why I fully believe in the model and think it should be scaled, not just within New York, but throughout the country, not just for transit, but for for other public sector entities as well. Um, So now transitioning to why, Ken and Dan, why are you here today? Um, Can you each share what your company accomplished through the Transit Tech Lab? Can you share the quantifiable results that shared, wow, like it made the the folks from the MTA say, this is something I can't live without and this is something that I need tomorrow?
3: Yep, I can go first. Um, So we, I'll talk about two things. Uh, One was one that we kind of, I'd say, expected or hoped for and was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, we were originally brought in to help work on the network redesign for, um, basically New York City is going through redesigning the bus network for each of their boroughs. Um, this work has not been done in decades. A lot of times there's changes that have been made, but no one's kind of taken a step back and looked holistically. And as you can imagine, New York, like almost every city has changed a lot the last few decades. Um, and what you know, ideally it least better outcomes for people. People can get to where they go faster, the buses can go faster. And what we were able to do is bring our software in, which they use to, which they're able to use to plan out the routes, plan out the schedules. And this is being done mostly on Excel, pen and paper before, and really able to show that that process in terms of the time it takes um, was 71% faster. And that makes a huge difference when you think about New York having to do this. Each borough, or yeah, each borough is roughly the size of a major U- U.S. city. So being able to go through them that much faster makes a big difference in terms of those outcomes. But I think one of the coolest things that came out of it was that the software can be used for any kind of planning and about halfway through the pilot phase, um, the pandemic hit, which is a case where you actually having software that made it easy to plan things quickly became suddenly very important. Um, and as part of the pandemic measures, they had to um, restrict the subway subway at night and we're able to quickly um, design a new bus network for the overnight service to help people get where
1: they need to get to. It's the only time in 100 years that the subway had ever been uh, shut down.
0: Overnight.
2: From 1 to 5. And it has been crazy times. So we we started at the Transit Tech Lab at the same time that Remix did. And it was a... uh, a challenging time with ups and downs associated with it. Uh, my company focuses on do, doing predictive maintenance, so it's very much on the, the vehicle maintenance side of things, uh, not something that's going to save lives by, like for, for instance, putting plastic sheets up in uh, in, in a bus to, to make sure that the operator is safe. Um, that took a lot of the oxygen out of the room, if you will, uh, during that. So there were ups and downs of this. Uh, why? How did we get here, I guess? Uh, Originally, we were working in trucking. Uh, predictive diagnostics there is very very valuable as well. Uh, we started just testing out the concept of doing this as in, in buses. And then we saw this ad to say you know, from Transit Tech Lab, there's a challenge. Can you make buses faster and you know, move faster through the lanes? And we obviously took it a little bit different, uh, the tactic that we went with, which is if they're not broken down, they're moving faster. Very simply, so if we we can tell you, hey, get this off the road today, fix this particular part, and it's not going to be broken down, you're going to speed up. And I think one of the interesting things about this model is that it can roll with that. It it makes a makes these this huge organization much more nimble. Uh, So we were, you know, we we pitched what we were doing to Transit Tech Lab. They they thought it was interesting enough that we went to like a demo day, and then anyone who was interested, it created a safe space for people within that massive organization to come and kick the tires and just think, well, could this, could this be implemented here? And we had a, a great group at reliability-based maintenance at the New York City transit bus um, come by and just talk to us about this. And they were really intrigued by the idea that this could happen. They would never have taken a chance on us otherwise. There's just no possible way we would have talked to them, let alone had them step up and say, Maybe it could work because the punishment for them. And you hear 71,000 people, but you're, you're not hearing the 20 million people that rely on this absolutely essential service. No one wants to be the one who screwed that up, right? It's too valuable, too important. has to be saved. And so everyone there is a little reluctant to take a chance. This is a great safe space that's created. So that group would come to us and say, hey, I'm willing to give this a chance. And if it doesn't work, failure is an option right now. This is okay. We're allowed to test this out. So it was a great opportunity for us to really come in, talk to them, show them what could be done if they were nimble. Uh, And then there was that eight-week window of a pilot that allowed them to say, well, what if? Uh, It's been very effective.
0: And I think the, the interesting thing, so you both came through the bus challenge, which asked the question, how do we speed up buses? And the solution that a lot of the staff from the MTA originally thought that would make sense was, oh, we need better cameras that can read license plates so when cars are parked in bus-only lanes, we can identify and ticket them. That was the very obvious solution, and that's the, the main solution that they were thinking of when we think of how do you speed up buses. And these two solutions are not they, – they do not uh, identify – they don't have cameras to identify uh, cars parked. They are – thinking about the problem very differently, but still were able to provide tremendous value to the MTA, not just speeding up buses, but also secondary, tertiary benefits. So much so that in its first year alone, the Transit Tech Lab, MTA leadership said that, the Transit Tech Lab saved the MTA $10 to $20 million, or there was $10 to $20 million in value in its first year alone, and these are two of the major companies that helped create that value. So it really is phenomenal to see how just asking a question and inviting people into the process, that participatory process, can help and can be done in the public sector. Um, so Ken and Dan, I want to um, go back to you again. So as successful alumni of the Transit Tech Lab, who has scaled commercial technologies within the MTA, can you share your secret sauce? So the folks who are, the, the, the two folks that are from startups, or, or maybe if there's folks in the room who wants to start a startup and they're, they're thinking about trying to do new technology in government, what led to your success?
2: I'll go first on this one. and It's one word, patience. Uh, I really had to, as a startup, you come in there and you want to disrupt everything. That's just, that's your way of thinking about the universe Uh But when you're working with an organization like New York City Transit, uh, you have to be, you, you can't be the blocker. So anytime they open up a door for you, you go through it as quickly as possible and get to the next blocker. But you have to recognize that they're protecting something that's essential. And so you have to be willing to be patient when, when they're working on something just accept the fact that it's gonna take a little bit of extra time. Um, But also, and this is something that Transit Tech Lab was really essential for us, is in building uh, buy-in that's beyond just your user base. So if if I'm talking to a a depot manager, someone who actually maintains the bus, they connect with me quickly. They're like, oh, I understand what you do. I understand how we're going to save money. I understand how this is gonna be more efficient. But they have a whole organization that they have to build around that, that they have to get buy-in from, that has competing priorities. And I felt that Transit Tech Lab was really good at getting executive-level buy-in across the organization so that those doors open faster on their side. But, yeah, for us, the the key, it was a long haul. You had to go into it with your eyes wide open saying, we're investing in a long-term solution at a really great organization and building a great you know, a, a great long-term relationship. So we had to be patient.
3: Yeah, I think definitely agree with patience. It's probably the biggest thing. I think uh, one related thing is persistence. Um, we started Remix in late 2014. I remember we talked to people at the MTA then. They are like, this would be great. We're using pen and paper. This would be a huge improvement. And as a New Yorker, this is one of my dream agencies to be able to work with. And the timeline of this bus challenge is 2019, when we first got a pilot, Um, in that time, we started working with a number of other cities, really working to make sure that we developed out the product, that we knew the use cases it worked with, and I think all of that was key, so that when the right opportunity came up, when the Transit Tech Lab had this question, we were really well positioned to be able to answer it, and had a much better kind of story to tell, had a better idea of who to engage, what stakeholders might be relevant. Um, I think another piece of that, which I don't know if this is a secret, but... Uh, I think just really understanding who is involved in making something happen um, so to Mike's point the MTA is a 70,000 person organization your smallest trans agency in the US is at least dozens of people um, I think really understanding who what those people care about how they work how to how you might be able to help them is really key to um, to um, being able to have good results and also being key to being able to convince people that this is something worth taking a risk on
0: yeah, the stars have to align. And so um, it's interesting because I get asked this question all the time, like what makes a, how does a company scale? How do they get a commercial agreement with the MTA? And from that, it's really, the stars really do have to align. Sometimes, you know, you could have a great technology, um, but the the team, like the the folks internally at the agency, they they are not well positioned or sometimes the team isn't quite right. So it's really... The, the startup has to be great. They have to be able to tell, talk about their value proposition, they have to have compelling technology. The, the project manager and the team internally within the agency has to be strong and well connected and be able to navigate internal resources. And three, it must be a priority of executive leadership. So a very interesting thing that happened, but the difference between these two companies. So PreTect just got a commercial procurement. This past year, in December of uh, 2022 or November of 2022, they had been solving and working with the MTA for three years. It took them quite a bit of time to actually get a scaled commercial agreement, and that's because the pandemic still pandem- really
1: fast for the MTA, but, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's because at the time, as Ken mentioned, the pandemic was happening, and the MTA was focused on how do we get protector, how do we protect our essential workers? How do we protect our bus drivers who are are at risk every day? And they were not necessarily thinking about predictive maintenance as a critical solution. Um, And also there was some changing leadership. So it took A lot of different factors, including a new uh, New York City Transit president, Rich Davey, who came in. He met and he saw what Pretect was doing and said immediately, this is essential. This is critical. This is how we're going to save costs. We're also going to improve our maintenance. We're going to improve our reliability. Predictive maintenance is the the future. And he was able to help expedite uh, the the agreement. And then with Remix, it was interesting because very quickly, you know, 71 percent faster 71 percent faster than the old method and then the old method was drawing maps on paper they digitized it all and were able to do scenario planning within seconds and because that was such a key value immediately there's folks from the mta were like i want this now and were able to commercially scale and that was pretty quick how long did it take you
3: I mean, it was pretty, it was during the pilot phase we started moving towards it. I think maybe, I think it still took a year to get to the contract. I think even that was only because they were doing these network redesigns at that moment is why it was an executive priority. Yeah.
0: And so it can vary. The time can vary. You know, as Mike mentioned, sometimes three years is is very fast. And and it's just, it just depends. But it really do the stars have to align?
1: It also requires, beyond just getting your foot in the door, uh, I, I'm thinking of another uh, challenge winner uh, that had uh, a very minor uh, incident, but their, their their hardware was was mounted on the front of a of a rail car, a, a camera, and uh, the uh, moving trains into the yard, and, and uh, the the hardware bumped the back of the car in front of it, and that is. Like a huge deal uh, for any sort of incident like that, and and it felt as though uh, without you know folks stepping in, the, the, it was myself and a couple others that really wanted folks to know that this is the type of thing. Things like this are going to happen when you're trying to use a new product quickly, and that the you know there shouldn't be any punishment for the driver. That you know it it was it was a one off you know event and a one off technology that we're piloting and 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 you know, to prevent the whole thing from coming to a stop, uh, it took it took uh, executive-level folks to step in and, and protect the integrity of our process.
0: Yeah. All hands on deck. Um, so, Ken and Ed, one more question for you. Can you share what benefits you receive from the Transit Tech Lab? So how did this help in your overall business development goals with other customers?
3: I can go. I think that... Um the MTA is very, very large and very well-regarded. Um, I think one of the biggest things is just more visibility and more, more credibility. I think even with um, thinking of our initial conversations with MTA, um, agencies want to see that someone else like them has gone through a similar process. Um, they might also think that they're the only one like themselves, but they want to see something that's at least... A little, bit, a little bit similar. I think having that, being able to show that's been proved on a much bigger scale on projects that have more visibility um, just helps a lot with every conversation that we go into and really just helps us, the more we have kind of specific examples of where it's used, the more it helps us tell the story of why it's useful versus uh, just being the person who says that they're going to fix all your problems, which,
2: you know, you have dozens of those come in every day. If I could get a nickel for every time I was told, well, if you can make it in New York, um, (laughs) we probably would never need investment New Yorkers
0: love that saying. (laughs) (laughs) You should write a song
1: like that.
2: Sure, write a song about it. Uh, But honestly, like the the credibility that comes with being able to launch even a pilot in New York uh, was transformational to us. We had just launched into municipal transit vertical, uh, having previously been focused primarily on trucking and all of a sudden, people who would not take our calls before are calling us and saying, we heard you're working with the New York transit. What's, what's going on? What is this again? Um, and that's every step of the way, that's been very helpful for us. So credibility is, is massive, but it's more than that. I actually found that working with the transit tech lab gave us the opportunity to really think deeply because it was a long process, a long and like, detailed process. It gave us a lot of time to think about how do you set up a gold standard process for proving that you make, that you're saving money for the for, for that transit agent, for proving that you are saving them road calls, repeaters, you're cutting down their parts cost. What does that case study look like that you're building? And we really, we had time. Like the first was an eight-week Pilot, like this was the initial kicking the tires, and all they did was they handed us a set of data that they already had. It was like, well, here's some sensor data that we we had kicking around. Uh, we know what happens next. Uh, you don't predict the future. If you're if you're so good at this, predict the future. Um, and uh, we had I think two weeks to work on that, uh, from just being handed the data to to getting it back to them with results. And that was really challenging, but it got us into the next piece, right? Uh, they were spot on.
1: He left that part out. <laughs>
2: we, we did very well, um, <laughs> so which is why they kept us around. Uh, but So we got to the next part, and the next part is where we really sat down with, with the, the groups that we were working with at New York City Transit Bus, as well as Transit Tech Lab, to design the experiment. What is the next step? How do, we, how do we prove to you not only that we can take some data out of a file and then, then predict what's going to happen next in terms of failures of those assets, different types of failures of those assets, how can we go from that to something more real? What are the steps towards that? And we crafted what I consider a gold standard solution for being able to prove this out. So we have uh, action and a control group. So a full-on statistical study uh, where we're launching into a depot or a set of depots across a large number of vehicles. We're delivering repair plans to these ones that are getting looked at we're delivering it to the other one they're not going to the end user and we can really compare when you act on this this is the value you're getting and when you ignore it this is the value you're losing and we've been so we we proved out that we could beyond cutting down road calls and and repeaters which are um breakdowns that have the same cause happen again uh, which is very common kpi uh, key performance indicators that are used for depots uh those were kind of the obvious things, but we also were able to very cleanly prove out that we saved over 40% in diagnostic labor time and, surprisingly, over 20% in the materials cost for doing repairs because we were able to diagnose them on the road and show, replace exactly this part. Not the parts around it, that part. Um, So we could statistically prove to them what benefit they get. And now we use those results, number one, to get other agencies on board to say, look, we've proven out that we can do this hitting the ground. Like it's literally, this is the cost savings as experienced on the shop floor. Uh, so we use it to get in, but we also use the design. So when we're testing it out at a different agency, let's say Denver, we use the same processes that we develop at Transit Tech Lab. So it's very helpful for us organizationally to understand how to, what the process is for going from experimentation to right to the end of the RFP.
1: And that process doesn't exist uh, in in the typical way that MTA or other agencies do business where you actually sit down and have conversations with the folks who are on the line. Uh, The typical RFI, RFP process does not allow for the type of collaboration that the the Transit Tech Lab uh, provided.
0: Yeah. And thinking about that replicable process, I know you all are thinking, okay, this is great in New York, whatever. New York can have it all. But what about me in my hometown? how can this process be replicated? And I think there's three key fundamental uh, aspects of the program that if these three things are in place, the, the model could be replicated. And it starts with the ver- reverse procurement. And it starts with... You know, asking a question, not being very prescriptive about what you're looking for, but asking a broad question, having a framework that is, that you work with your legal team and your procurement team and all of the other uh, incredible business functions to make sure that it is uh, legally uh, sound process. But you have a reverse procurement and you ask a question and you invite innovators to help you solve that problem. So being very open with that. Um, the second part is having a safe space to test technology for both uh, the public sector and for a company and and having a unique value proposition for both sides. So startups, they get a clear yes or no answer, and they are able to have feedback, direct conversations with their customers where it's very difficult in the public sector to – have that feedback because there's a lot of fear around oh like if there's an open procurement we might not be able to tell you this because we don't want to give you a competitive advantage so having that space safe space for startups and then from the public sector side so the model we work where the the Proof of concepts and pilots, they're done at no cost to the agency. So this is all done outside of a typical procurement process. So the public sector can test the technologies, understand if it works, understand the pros and cons. And then if there's a solution that works, they can use their existing procurement process. So using all the existing rules. And then the third piece that I think is critical is having a third party nonprofit run the process, I think is very valuable. Um, Just because you have a third party to help, Set expectations for both parties, for both the startups and the agencies. They can help uh, make sure each are communicating with each other. And it also helps hold both parties accountable. So we set strong goals, KPIs. We track, we follow up, we pester. Not these folks, they're very good. But we pester. (laughs) Well, we we, we make sure that people are delivering on what they said they're going to deliver. And we set goals from the start and we demonstrate how we're going to solve that overall goal. And we sit down together as a team to do that. So having a third party, I think, Really helps with that, and having it be a nonprofit, so you're not profiting off of it. You're just you're you're the one who is facilitating the process. Really helps. So those are the key fundamentals and benefits that I would say.
1: And, and that last item that you mentioned is is critical to establishing trust, uh, not just between the, the, the startups and and the third uh, the nonprofit, but also with our agency and and with your team, which has developed over the years because we know that. Uh, we can trust you to, to hold the, the, the companies uh, to task and, and, and to, you know, the, the parameters of the deals that have been reached.
0: Yeah. So, Mike, I want to ask you. Oh, are you gonna,
2: go ahead. I was just going to say that your second point there about creating the safe space is, to me, an imperative for any innovation. Failure has to be part of the process. And that's a real, real challenge for any public organization to accept, but that is what makes startups successful is, is being able to fail and pivot out of it without materially impacting like your career. Right. And just being able to create that safe space, I think is an, ab- an absolute must for having innovation in public transit. The no cost to the agency
1: helps that too. Right?
2: <laughs> and, and I think that's important. Uh, and we, we stepped up to that. We knew we weren't going to get paid for a long time. Uh, it was an investment on our part. Uh, and, like I mean, thankfully, my team is in love with public transit, so we were very happy to be supporting New York City Transit during COVID. Uh, like that's a source of pride for our team is that we stuck that out. We, we weren't just like, oh, you're not paying us, we're we're out of here. Um, we wanted to help. We wanted to be part of the solution for all of that. So we, at no cost, for a very long time, just kept on plugging away at it, uh, which builds trust in their organization that you're not just there as quickly as possible to get in, get out, whatever. We really don't care. It's like, no, this is fundamentally important to us as a team and also like you build that trust, but I can't emphasize enough how much that safe space was absolutely important for the people that we're working with at New York City Transit to feel as if okay, if it doesn't work out, I'm not losing my job. Uh, you know, it's not end of career for me. I can still maybe get promoted and have this fail. Failure is part of the process.
0: Yeah. And and Ken, to your point around, you know, you were able to make this investment. You saw it as an investment and you were in a financial position to do so. Not all startups, not all companies are in a financial position to do so. And, and not all stages of companies are right for this. So it really is a the the stars do have to align, and that's why we typically see post Series A startups as uh, is, is the best fit for this model. But we do we do work with a um, quasi governmental agency, NYSERDA, New York State Research Development Authority, and they provide grant funds for pilot winners. But it's not guaranteed, so that's definitely something that you know to consider. If you can find outside grant funds to help pay for the pilots, it's definitely beneficial. Um, but it's not guaranteed, in, at least in our model.
2: We didn't get one. <laughs>
3: I'd also just add that uh, for folks in other cities, I think New York probably takes longer to work with than any, almost anywhere else in the US. So if you don't have quite the same runway, starting with smaller cities, um, smaller transit agencies is something that we did that worked really well when we were in that early stage.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, so Mike, I have a question for you. What has been the impact for the MTA in creating slash participating in, in the transit tech lab?
1: Well, I, I I think it's shown our, our our employees and our management as well that there there is more than one way of doing business uh, and, and finding uh, you know innovative ways to uh, find new products and introduce them to our fleets and to our employees. Uh, I would say also, I mean, the impact is if you can, you know, we are eternally uh, looking for ways to to save money, and if you can find ways that you know find prove the bottom line in a very, uh, short period of time, then, then that's a way to sell it within the agency without a problem.
0: Yeah. The interesting thing. So, um, in my free time, I sometimes watch MTA board meetings because that's my life and I uh, don't have a life apparently. Um, (laughs) and the December board meeting of this past year, I found fascinating because Executives from the CEO of the MTA, President of uh, Construction Development, President of Long Island Railroad, Metro North, and New York City Transit all mention the Transit Tech Lab, and that's that's how I get my uh, my adrenaline rush is when I when I hear mentions of that. Um, and it's fascinating though because they all mention different projects in different ways that ju- the Transit Tech Lab is helping them with the fiscal crisis that is ongoing, this existential crisis transit is having around you know. Due to the pandemic, there's reduced ridership, not just in New York, all across the country, all across the world. How are we rectifying this? How are we making up uh, the lost revenue? And so there's very real discussions that are having happening in, in New York and around the world around how are we going to, what's the new model for transit? Each of these folks mentioned what that, you know, well, starting with the the CEO of the MTA saying, you know, we're looking at new technology. We're understanding how to improve operational efficiencies with new technology, because we're not just some big bureaucratic organization that can't do anything right as, as, you know, as sometimes is in the press. Like we actually do, uh, we're looking at new solutions and, and the transit tech club is one of the things that we're doing to help understand what those solutions are out there. And then the examples from construction and development where thinking about how to find solutions to reduce track intrusions. So people who are jumping in the tracks, and sometimes there's fatal incidents that's happening, we're piloting a a front-facing camera to help alert the the train operator if someone is going to be in the tracks to hopefully reduce that as an incident. So he mentioned that head of um, Long Island Railroad Metro North mentioned a company called RunWise that is reducing overheating in uh, buildings which is saving operational costs and then lastly New York City Transit President mentioned predictive maintenance and AI as something that can reduce uh, maintenance costs and mentioned pretext. so it's very interesting to uh, see that at different facets different levels of the organization that you know the the leadership has embraced change and embraced how new technology can be part of that and I think that's also been part of the success is having leadership who's open to that sort of um, you know new things.
2: I also think it's interesting that the leadership that's been shown, you build this model in New York City, uh, but then you you go off and you say, hey, it's working. Uh, as we mentioned, a lot of the other agencies, the smaller agencies who don't have 70,000 people and 500 engineers working on re- reliability, uh, they look to New York City for help. It's like, what is coming? How do I handle this?" What, you know, what should I be doing? Uh, that type of leadership is really important. And having, I watched that board meeting too, uh, and having Rich Davey come up and say, you know, 76% increase in productivity by using PreTect, that means other people are like, okay, wait a second here. There's, there's clearly, there's a path that I can follow. And we really do notice that that kind of leadership, Transit Tech Lab focusing just on that one area, it's bleeding out into other places, not even just in the US, but Canada, and we've noticed Europe. People notice that things are happening here, and so it helps disseminate the knowledge around.
0: Yeah. Okay, so last question for you all. I want to have advice for the audience. So Ken and Dan, what advice do you have for tech companies more generally around how to successfully partner with transit agencies and other civic-focused organizations?
3: I'll say two things. One, I think, just don't be afraid. Whenever, especially when we started, I would describe to friends what what we were working on, and the response I'd get would be something between a blank stare, which is the good one, and kind of like, ugh, you mean you're working with government? Isn't that terrible? I remember that from friends. I remember that from investor meetings. I remember one where someone's like, think of the hardest thing you've ever done, like really, 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 really hard. Working with government's even harder than that, which was... A direct quote and not helpful. Um, and in reality, I we were talking about this yesterday. I love working with our customers. A lot of times for us, we work with planners. If you're talking to the planning team, they are the only people who do that job in their city. Um, they have no one else to talk to. They are so excited and enthusiastic about the work that they're doing and are legitimately trying to make the communities they live in much better. And I think that's such a powerful thing and I think it's just so um, valuable to be able to work
2: on that. So our vision as a company is to empower maintenance teams. Uh, And our definition of team doesn't end at our employees. It's about the people who are on the other side of the aisle. Uh, For instance, we have some great people that work at New York City Transit and MTA uh, who are are part of our team. They really, they get where we're trying to go. They're the people that are trying to uh, raise the bar in their organization. There are some people who, it's a job. But in an organization of that size, there are a lot of people who are like, I want this to be better. I want to be proud to work here. And those people, when they realize that you're on that team with them, they're on your team too. So engaging those people, empowering those people, uh, that's your job, right? That's that's how everything is, is going to work for you. Um, I would also say though, you have to recognize that it's all public transit, but honestly, municipal, municipal anything, uh, it's political. You are you are in a political organization when you're working like that. Uh, you have to make sure you have your bases covered. It's a, a very large enterprise relationship. You have to get buy-in from all different levels, identify who the potential blockers are, and make sure you're getting them onside, that, that they have a win out of this, that they, are, they also are becoming your cheerleaders. So really galvanizing who your team is that you're going to cross that finish line with early on, I think that's that's super important.
1: It's essential that the, the partners that we work with have the attitudes that they've just talked about, too. I mean, if, if, if you don't have folks who are willing to listen to the line employees and, and hear what they're talking about when they say that they're having problems, that they're facing challenges, and then a willingness to modify what you thought your product was or should be to what we really need in, at the public agency is, is absolutely critical to success. And thankfully, I would say the vast majority of, of the companies that have come through the tech lab have, have shown those types of characteristics. So uh, it's, it's really been a win-win both for us and, and for, the, for the companies, and, um, and we appreciate the leadership of the partnership.
0: Mike, do you have advice for folks from the public sector out there? If they're trying to do innovation, adopt new companies, new technologies, what, what they should be thinking about?
1: I think that it, it really does require, uh, at least an organization of our size, perhaps a few champions, but uh, it, it does require a champion within the agency to ensure that when hiccups occur, uh, we can keep everything on track and not let them get uh, sidetracked because that happens very easily in government. The first time you encounter anything uh, where folks, uh, where a lawyer gets involved or, or where a labor union gets involved, uh, in some cases, uh, you really need someone to, to, to get to the to the source of what's happening, find a way past it, push innovation, push, uh, you know, in, keep the, the, the opportunity, the safe space safe. Uh, and and keep the uh, things rolling in the right direction. It, it, it you do need individuals uh, within to to keep the ball moving forward.
0: And I will say, having a senior advisor, chief of staff level like you, um, and and your counterpart helping to navigate internal uh, agencies and in, in, uh, departments within the agency is very very helpful uh, to understand who to engage and making sure that it's it's really broad uh, swath of of folks who are engaged uh, throughout the agency. And so lastly, so the advice that I would give as both a former entrepreneur and somebody who used to work in government, I have advice for both startups or folks in the tech sector and um, in the public sector from what I've seen in this model. And so for for startups, something I would tell my former self as as an entrepreneur trying to sell in the public sector is... (laughs) don't Um, I mean I mean but not not that actually more so just like don't have government be your first customer find product market fit in another sector or with another customer make sure that you're able to work with another customer and get feedback because it is very very difficult as a as an entrepreneur to to find what you're looking to do and have that product market fit in general and then to do it in the public sector is even harder when it's hard to access your your customer and so uh, you know Find product market fit. And also there are entities like the transit tech lab it's our role to help facilitate those conversations and help startups so there's you know there's things like I know urban movement labs or Lacy in LA there's all these regional uh, innovation partnerships that exist throughout the country so there are similar organizations that where their role is to help connect startups and agencies in the public sector so, so look for those organizations and the second piece of advice that's a bit more of a technical piece of advice but if you're if you're not familiar with the public sector sometimes um, you know it can be very challenging to win a, a contract and win an RFP. P. And oftentimes, they're big consulting companies or big firms that know how to fill out the paperwork correctly. <laughs> so find those organizations. And if you can be a subcontractor to get your foot in the door, that's also a way that you can work with the public sector and understand how it works. It's another piece of advice. And then for the public sector, the one thing I will say is that you know there, there are a lot of rules and regulations, and it can be difficult to try to navigate internal processes. But if you can find those one to two people who are in procurement, who are in legal, who can, are a bit more open-minded and a bit more flexible and can, you know, still view the rules as they are, but, but have a broader interpretation of those rules. Those are your, your friends. And those are the folks that you can really work with to think more creatively about how to maybe do a more, uh, open procurement or open, uh, innovation. And so finding those folks and then, and then making sure to, to like, Build agency within your organization and and then empower those around you and and building those relationships internally, I think is helpful as well. Um.
2: I just wanted to say... I disagree with one of these things, okay. <laughs> which is uh, the don't. And, and I've, I, I've, I've heard this repeatedly, and honestly. But I would
0: get to my former self, it, not, it, not to those
2: out here. <laughs> investors had the same message for, for, for me and my co founder, which is give your head a shake. What are you thinking? Dumb, dumb, dumb. Don't do that. Uh, but like, there's a, there's a long term investment that we made in New York City, but that doesn't mean that that was the only thing that we were doing at the time right? We were working with small agencies. And there are a large number of smaller agencies that have 100 buses. And if you you choose them well, and you captivate someone there, like you get someone C-suite, or like a director of bus maintenance for us or something like that, and you really engage them They are a partner, a development partner. Uh, We really learned a lot from our own local city, right? So uh, Memphis Area Transit Authority. Uh, We were working on trucks. Uh, Gary Rosenfeld, the CEO of that, heard about us because we were in the local news and said, I want that on my buses. And I said, we don't do buses. And he's like, well, you do now. Uh, And I, I didn't think it would work, but he's like, he knew. He had a vision for how this could work in municipal transit, and he's been a champion for us since day one. Small agency, really tight focus, really close link to us. Uh, you can start in in that type of a market.
0: But you found product market fit before you went into transit, right?
2: We did not have product market fit you before didn't. transit. Oh, okay. uh, we had product. <laughs> you had so, a product
0: that works, though. So, so just
2: to, to, to anyone who is in the startup land here. Uh, My background is I was a professor of computational astrophysics, uh, like completely, utterly removed from transit uh, and also utterly removed from business of any sort. Uh, I'm just one of those nerds behind a computer. Um, Now, I grew up in, my dad is a fleet maintenance manager in trucking. I grew up in a garage. So I got that portion of it. Um, So I could understand how to move through that, but the business side of it, no clue whatsoever. We did years of R&D and really developed a, a techno, technological product. But the actual product of like how to sell, how to support, how to bring it into an organization and get money out of it. Uh, no, we, we were not there. We had customers who were paying us and then we would probably lose those customers. Uh, it was the first few years of our business. But the product market fit where we really started to understand how to put a product in motion and generate income on it and and deliver real ROI that was municipal transit. That was Memphis. So, so don't shy away from public transit. It's possible. Just find a champion who can really partner with you.
0: I like it. Okay. We have some time for Q and a anybody have questions. I think when the model first started, we did, we tried to invite like anybody with an idea, come apply. What we found though, is in the first year we had a company, an incredible company. There are three people and there was just like a, a startup, a very small startup. And what we found is that even though they had incredible technology, they just didn't have enough of a, of a business to navigate even a a unpaid commercial contract. You still need a lawyer, still no it security. Like there's still some basic, like you have to be at least a little bit developed to be able to work
1: in a big public sector. So we have um, done hackathons. So,
0: so maybe MTA transit tech lab, but okay. Talk to the MTA. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) executive leadership deems it a priority. Executive leadership, whoever's running your metro, says it's a priority and works to coalesce the partners to make it happen.
1: It's a step deeper than that. I think it's an executive leadership at, a, at an agency that's willing to, to admit yeah. where they need help uh, or, or challenges that they've they've failed to solve. Yeah.
3: I'll just maybe toss something into this. I think one thing that from... Uh, for transportation, a lot of times there's a couple of different, if you're just trying to make an impact on your community, usually there's both the transit agency that's running kind of the actual buses, and also a city or city department transportation or county. I think that that question of executive leadership can apply to each of them, depending on what problems you're trying to solve. So, for example, better bike infrastructure is often more of a city or county department transportation thing. And I think for there, executive leadership is important. I think the other thing that can help is uh, political pressure can't help make something a priority. I think the summer of hell being in the news is probably like a good example of that in New York.
2: We have different experiences here, so I think it makes sense for both of us to speak to it. But uh, for us, it was really a, a, a long process that had to, you had to go through because they didn't... Like, we came in out of the blue. Uh, predictive diagnostics is something that no one had even considered as a thing that they were going to implement. So they really had to start by planning out what is the long-term analysis structure for how we're going to see, does this work? Not just does it work, but can it be implemented for positive effect on the floor, like you know, how does it impact the organization? So there was a there was a long process of understanding all those little pieces. Uh, and you want to talk pitfalls? One of like so we work on sensor data that comes off of vehicles. We don't install sensors. Buses already have a thousand sensors on them. The OEM puts them on there just to make sure the bus can operate. Okay, we take that data off of the the local network that all those sensors talk to each other on, and send it up to the cloud. Except New York City MTA already had something that was doing that. The data was already coming up to the cloud, but they had their system had been designed to be extremely uh, specific to what kind of data, how it's flowing, and if you taxed it any more than what was already being done, it would break. Uh, and so it was crucial to their operations not to break that. It was fundamentally important. They break it, all their queries fall apart, and then everything just cascades. So everyone was very, very scared about making any kind of mistake on that. And so, so it, like, the safe space was super, super important. And it took about a year, maybe more, for us to iron out slowly over time how to get that information to f- stream to us so that we could actually deliver we we deliver what's called a repair plan. Fix this part in the next X number of days uh, because this is about to happen. And we had to be able to get the data soon enough that we could deliver that repair plan in time that they could just naturally get the bus in and operate on it without it breaking down. That took a lot of planning and effort on the part of MTA IT, their IT department, to make that all flow properly. And like there was a lot of a lot of issues and sometimes it would go down and then people would be pointing the fingers at the people who were in charge of the pilots saying, you broke everything. <laughs> right. Uh, but it was, it was baby steps and then forward and backward and forward and backward. so there's a lot of pitfalls in that and you have to be willing to just concede. It's like, this is going to take time. Let's figure it out. We'll work together. We have some expertise. You have some expertise. We'll get to the end. Yeah. For
3: us, I think maybe there's two things. One, uh, when I think of kind of the change that actually, goes into effect that affects riders. A lot of where I think we fit in, and you're, I think you're in a similar bucket, is that we're kind of giving like, superpowers to the people who are doing this uh, like, on the ground. So we're helping the planners and they're the ones who actually have to push that change through. I think a lot of the, the challenge can be that people have existing workflows, they have existing things they need to get done. I think that's what the pilot was really, for us, helpful for and just getting people to make the space and try that out. Again, we were fortunate. There was a big project that had a lot of pressure, and people were like, "We have to do this." Um, that's been challenges for us and other pilots. Just to, we'll do it. We'll figure it out later. Um, you know, there were things having to do with scaled hour issues. I think the other thing that's you know goes back to patience is just there's a lot of uh, paperwork and budgeting and a lot of conversations with people who have maybe not all the information that you have to kind of like piece together to make the commercial piece line up to actually have a contract that they can pay for and that. You get paid on. I don't think that that's. There's not one pitfall there. It's just a, a process that takes patience.
0: So we are out of time. We can answer your questions. Oh. We can we can chat afterwards. But uh, we are getting the signal that we're out. So thank you all so much for coming. We appreciate you.
1: Thank you.